morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all of you diamonds in the rough. This is strategically and unapologetically. And as you know, I am Firestarter Monica, and I'm happy to come before you this morning. We've got um, a very unique individual in his own right. He works in a very, very unique um, environment, industry. And we've asked him, it wasn't easy because he's so busy and the demand that he has on his life because of his profession and his personal life. We have managed to bring him uh, before us this morning. I'm excited about it. And I'm gonna take advantage of this time and welcome Mr. David Perkins. Welcome, sir. Hello, Monica. How are you doing this morning? I am doing great. I don't. I know you can probably see the enthusiasm on my face and hear it in my voice. But um, before we begin to talk to our audience, those listeners, and a few will be privileged to see our video, I just want to let them know that we've got this gentleman here um, that is a, a seasoned professional in the industry of architecture. I don't know about you. I put it up there with astronaut and brain surgeon. You just don't encounter them every day. So we're going to begin. So, David, I want to ask you, how long have you been an architect? And when did this notion develop? And how did you go about it? That's a... A uh, very uh, long answer to that question, but let me say that um, I think I've been an architect all my life. Now, I didn't know it in, as a child, but I spent my time looking at buildings, looking how things were constructed as a kid, walking down the street, looking at how that mailbox was anchored to the concrete slab or in a building, how the walls and the ceilings came together. And I did not know that it was called architecture until I was in the eighth grade. And once I knew it was called architecture, I spent the rest of my life focusing on training and what learning what it was all about. Um, I did graduate from college. I went to school in architecture. Uh, well, first of all, during high school, I took drafting classes and you know did shop home ec, things like that, and really, really decided that I really wanted to be an architect. So I knew that from a very long, long, uh, long childhood of just being having that curiosity and interest that I wanted to be an architect. And then I decided to go to college for architecture. So um, growing up in Michigan, I looked at the different colleges, institutions of training, and got accepted to Lawrence, Lawrence University, or Lawrence Institute of Technology at that time and decided to study architecture. So that was uh, quite a while ago. I uh, graduated um, in 1976 in School of Architecture. And um, just similar to being an attorney, you have to work in the industry and pass the state bar exam, but we call it state boards. So I became a licensed as an ar architect probably in 1977, a year after college. So it's been about 46 years. Wow, that is awesome. I just want to chime in and say that you, um, it's been my experience, and I feel comfortable in saying that you are one of those rare individuals that learned early in your life what it is that you were created to do. Yes, I, I was blessed to be, um, you know, blessed by the spirit of life, spirit of just 
generation and just love that um, to be guided. And uh, fortunately enough, I was able to accept that and just follow what I was, what I feel I was meant to do. And that is to help people, uh, to really help become a problem solver and to help the environment and just help others. And that's what architecture does. Awesome. That was one of the uh, next questions that I was going to ask you. With your experience and in your experience, what qualities, you've, it sounds like you've already shared a few, what qualities um, does a sound uh, professional in the industry of architecture bear? Yeah, it's um, the being an architect is if you look up the definition, the, the, the definition is master builder. And the um, in historic times, the architect was the designer, the creator, the structural engineer. He was also the contractor. And that um, was is something that has, you know, is continues today, though. There are specialty professions now that has, has taken a portion of that. Like now we have structural engineers, we have mechanical engineers, but the architect is analogous to an orchestra and he's the leader of an orchestra. And you have all those instruments out there and you can see him directing the bassoons and the, the percussions and the, the woodwinds and directing that whole process. So the training for architecture is one of multi, is very, all of the arts, uh, the sciences, you need to know a little bit about everything because what you're doing is that you're directing the entire show. You're directing the entire process. You're not, maybe not the expert in all of those, but you know when to ask the, uh, you know, the trumpets to come in, et cetera, et cetera. And you know the score very well and you're managing that whole process. You're directing the show. Awesome. Awesome. So um, for those listeners that, let's say a Gen Z listener, uh, those individuals that are just getting started, even some that are probably still in school, what would you um, uh, say to them regarding the uh, profession? Is it lucrative? You know, certainly people do things just for, for money, but because of the depth and the wealth of what it is that an architect does, what would you say to a student, someone that says they desire to be an architect? That's a good question. It is, um, and I get that question a lot, although I don't know if I have a, a pad answer for that. But first of all, it's about um, following a passion. So, you, you know, one of the main things is, and it's just not just with architecture, with anything that you do in life is having a passion to do it. And if you have that passion to do it, then you will find a way to make it happen. You will sacrifice what it takes. Um, and it really is one of dedication. So the architecture, the profession of architecture itself, as I'm saying before, it is multi-varied. You, you are a little bit, you know, a little bit about everything. And you also have a lot of curiosity and you're always asking questions and you um, always are looking. I mean, I, I get, I probably get 30 or 40 magazines a month and I'm just looking at magazines because I want to see what's happening around the world, not just in my small town or in my state or country. I want to see what's happening globally. And, and I'm a big fan of science fiction as well. So I'm always searching, being curious and looking and you find, find out what you want to do, find out what your passion is 
And then as, as, a, as you are looking to determine what your profession is or what you want to do for your rest of your life, find out what that is and, you know, just get into it and, 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 and focus on it and have fun with it. Awesome. I may be reaching a bit, but I want to ask you, would you say that architecture helps to shape and mold the world, history, our future? Absolutely. Um, all the buildings that you're in, you know, even in your own, own house. I mean, you look at the colors, you look at the shapes of the of the space, not just in plan in terms of how long and how wide it is, but the, the volume of it, the height of it, the shape of it. How do you get light into that space? The I spend my whole life trying to manipulate or to look at how natural light can enter a building because I'm looking to enhance the human experience. And it is so uplifting uh, to provide a space that people enjoy working in, sleeping in, living in, playing in. And so we look at, as architect, we look architects, as we look at how we can create that environment that not only is a place that provides shelter in terms of a roof and walls, but also a space that really enhances that environment and allows you to or allows humans to perform and excel in whatever experiences they are embarking in that space. So architecture, uh, and, you know, you go back into in time and you look at even, you know, look at the pyramids, that's architecture, you know, mm -hmm. and look at how they were constructed and you, you still wonder how they were built. You look at the Pantheon and the Pantheon in, in Rome and you look at all the different cultures and they all have different uh, techniques of construction and it all began by providing shelter, a basic roof over your head, walls, keep the wind and weather out. You know, look at the caveman. They, they moved into the caves and then they came out and began building shelters. And then over time, it began to the shelters became became larger. And then you've got to support the structure. So, uh, you know, you've got to look at structural systems and how do you build it and how do you build the Notre Dame Cathedral up that tall. So you have to build battered walls and walls that are uh, 10 feet thick and you do, you know, uh, all kinds of techniques. Now, even to the to the high rise, you look at the world's tallest buildings and they are just simply looking at nature and looking at techniques of structure that have been developed over time. So it's, you know, you can go on and on about architecture, but it does enhance the human experience it also provides that shelter and it encourages just um, further development of your own as a person and encourages and uplifts your spirit. All the way down to the tiny home, right? Those All the way down to the, not only to the tiny home, but, you know, a famous architect, uh, Errol Sarin, and actually was a Michigan architect, uh, talked about when you, he designed a chair and if he was designing a chair, he had to see what it was like. How did that chair fit into the living room? And then how did that living room fit into the house? And how did that house fit and work on the street? How does that street and the houses on that street align in the neighborhood? And how does that work and in, develop into the city? And so everything is connected. And, you know, it's architects don't just design buildings and spaces. They design furniture. We design 
equipment. We designed furniture. We designed all sorts of things. We designed everything that we're, we're doing. So this it's a never-ending process of design. Awesome. I want to share this with you. I'm one of those individuals. I want my epitaph, my eulogy. I want to hear them say, she did everything that she felt she was created to do. So one of the things that I'm going to do when I, I retire, I had this dream earlier this year about a particular type of chair. Mm. And so I was like, that's what I need sitting in the hall by that desk. <laughs> and I started looking for it as recent as yesterday. And I haven't found this style chair. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to design that chair myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that's wonderful. That's a great idea. I love it. Yeah. I'm designing all the time. I mean, I'm looking at, you know, you buy something, a coffee cup, take a coffee cup and you, it looks all pretty and cute, but put some hot water, hot coffee in it and put your hand in it. And oh, and it burns your finger. Oh, well, that's not a good design. So, you know, what? and, you know, an architect is first an artist and designing things like a coffee cup is an artistic experience, but an architect, an artist can paint a wagon with a square wheel, but an architect has to make that wheel round because it has to function. So it's not only aesthetics and design and beauty, it has to function. So we are, we're always looking at design. So I buy things at the store and I say, oh, well, this could be a better design if I do this or do that. So architects are always designing. Awesome. Being a person of color, I want to ask you this. Because you, the industry, the profession that you work in is so unique. It, I mean, you just don't you run into nurses and here and there a doctor. But it has been rare that I encounter architects. Yeah. So I want to ask you about this profession when it comes to the brown people, the black people, the, the minority. What would you say loose, just a loose idea? What is the general makeup of females, black and brown people in your profession? Okay, that's a good, very good question. The, um, the profession of architecture is one that is primarily a white male Caucasian industry. Um, and that is not unique among a lot of professions, but, um, and, and one of the reasons is, well, it's not one of the reasons, but the, um, it, it takes a lot for a committee or board members or owner to trust that you're gonna spend their millions of dollars in a, in a, in a good fashion. The makeup of architecture, uh, from a uh, uh, what's the word um, minority perspective, is is low and is improving over the decades. Um, it is um, there are minorities in it, and then now, as of the last decade or so, and it continues that there are more women involved in the profession, and also minority women um, in the profession, as as well as minority males. But I would say that right now, the I couldn't tell you what the percentage is, but it's a very low percentage of minorities within the overall industry. I'm sure it's under 10%. You know, it, it's, it's way down there. I, I, again, don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. But uh, it is one that we are always striving to increase uh, the participation. And there are cities and municipalities 
and the um, even the American Institute of Architects, which is the mother foundation for architecture, has is on a campaign to increase minority participation. Uh, you know, there's now there are women who are heads of architecture schools in across the country, the major schools, Harvard and other schools, MIT. Uh, there are women who are now participating in, in, in winning what we would call a prestigious awards uh, in the profession. And women have been designing and doing architecture for a long time, but the recognition has not been there. And so there is much more uh, uh, campaigns to um, encourage that. And again, the Mother Foundation, American Institute of Architects is one of the leaders in helping encourage along with the, the push from minorities that are, are in the profession that want it. Now, the other thing is that municipalities that the recipients of architecture, the recipients of these the service that we provide, such as, let's say, the city of Atlanta uh, is one of the uh, leaders in the country in terms of encouraging participation of minorities in the profession, um, not just in the construction side of the world, but in what we call the, the, the design side of the world, the architecture and the engineering. And so the city of Atlanta has programs and has been since the days of Maynard Jackson, who was, he really initiated all of this, uh, encouraged and demanded, as a matter of fact, demanded that projects have minority participation. And those programs are still in place today and um, are being molded and continue in Atlanta and across the country. And again, Atlanta is the leader uh, across the country in developing and, and uh, encouraging minority participation. So there are um, requirements, you might say, for when, when it comes to spending public dollars, that there is participation on these projects. You mentioned um, that Atlanta, since uh, the days of uh, the former Mayor Maynard uh, Jackson, so you mentioned, I could use this term yeah. loosely, that it is the Mecca now. Yeah. Yes, for um, architecture when it um, as it relates to minorities. Yes, as well as well as the civil rights movement. I mean, it is, so it's, it's all here. So yes, it's all sort of is the mecca. You did mention early on that you grew up in the state of Michigan. I take it now you reside outside of Michigan, and if you could describe with all that you've said uh, about the um, the the numbers or your, your encounters in the profession when it comes to meeting other minorities. If you could paint us a picture, and I know I'm asking you to use your, another phase of architecture, <laughs> paint us a picture of what the road to success looked like for you. If you could share with us some of um, uh, the uh, the pitfalls, the, the set, Facts and the the you know revisiting and reexamining is this what I want to do? All of those things kind of make it real and tangible. Or I was wow, wow that could be a long response, but you know that that's um, I, I don't get to speak about this a lot, so it's it's something I have to kind of as it comes to my mind sort of share with you. But the effort, um, as I said before, I knew that I wanted to do something different when I was a child. I knew it was and I found out it was called architecture. And so I, I 
I was focused on that and nothing got in the way of that. So I was determined. Um, I would get up and uh, walk a mile and a half to school to go to my aunt's house that lived a mile and a half away every morning for years to go to high school, actually junior high school and high school, because I wanted to get a, a different training. I wanted to study architecture. And the school I went to had a little bit more exposure. Um, it was a Caucasian white school. It was a Caucasian school. And I wanted to learn something in addition to what I learned in my own neighborhood. So I did that every day. And I really was determined. And when I, once I got out of high school, went to college, um, uh, so first of all, that snow and the rain and walking in the mud at uh, six o'clock in the morning, and then got off the bus and walked back. That didn't deter me. It, it, it made me stronger. Uh, I was determined to do that. And that kind of determination has been with me my whole life. And that's the kind of effort and uh, kind of dedication that is needed to, to reach a goal. So that um, then when I got in college, uh, was it? was from a small little town on the other side of the tracks. I went to a college that was, uh, you know, a very good college of architecture. And um, the minorities that were in the college were half a dozen in a huge, huge college and institution, engineering school, architecture school. And the few folks that were from my town uh, and from the city of Atlanta, uh, Detroit that were there they would be there maybe one one semester, a semester and a half, and next thing you know, you didn't see them anymore. And they would be in the study hall. I mean, not in the study hall. They'd be in the social hall, sitting around playing cards, playing pool, doing stuff like that. And I would walk by, had my slide rule, and I would see them. And then a month later, you wouldn't see them anymore, and they'd be gone. So it was a dedicated effort to focus on what the – uh, the classes were about and to get uh, what's the word get um, to, to move into a different realm of thinking and to accept that. And it didn't make me any less of a person just because you learn more, just learn how to do and when in Rome, you do as the Romans do. So, you know, I got me a pair of penny loafers, everybody was wearing penny loafers. I, you know, I did the things that I needed to do to learn and to make friends and to uh, study and to, uh, uh, to, to acquire and to conquer those classes. Now, architecture is one of the very technical, you know, you've got physics, you've got analytic, you got trigonometry. And I was not good at any of that um, in my mind, but I told myself that I am going to learn this in order to reach the goal of being an architect. So it was a sacrifice. You, know, you might say it was a sacrifice, but I just decided I needed to do that. And, and so you got to be willing to learn, willing to change, willing to give. And so I gave up being comfortable mm -hmm. and studying. To, and I gave up that to study and to work hard and to at least learn that physics for one semester. After that physics class, was over, I can forget it. I mean, I, but you got to get through it. And so yeah. I was dedicated and focused. I told myself that. So that was part of the role, giving and, and sacrificing those times when you could be having a good time. I went, um, one of the friends um, that is, uh, we went to school together, a black guy from the same town, 
uh, we survived. We were probably the only two that survived. We would get, get and we would go to class, and then on Friday night, instead of going out and going to parties and going to dorms and bar hopping and any of that, we would get together about 10 o'clock at night on a Friday night, and we would get our, we would get to the drawing board and we would draw and we would read and we would study all night long. Just said because we said, uh, I want to learn how to do a perspective drawing by hand. And so we would do that all night long. And we did that on Friday. Everybody's out partying and having a good time. And so that was a sacrifice that that we had to make. Now, at that time, it wasn't a sacrifice to me because I was always focused and he was always dedicated and focused. So, but to others, that might seem like a sacrifice. So we that that was part of that picture. And you know, we would be in class and, you know, I would be in class. And of course, I'm the only minority in the class, always. Never had any other minority in any other classes at college. Um, then got out into the profession, uh, working for architects, uh, because part of the training is once you uh, become, um, before you become licensed, you, you obviously have to have a credit accredited degree. And then you also must have, uh, I think it was four years of uh uh, what's the word? Uh, working as a uh, practical. Yes, working as in the profession to get that training before you can sit for the state board exams. So we, uh, you know, we we did. I did that. Uh, did the training and worked at different architectural firms. And again, always the only minority sitting at the drawing boards. Um, and you know, it's it, which is totally a little bit different now as the as the owner of a business. But you know, that's sort of part of that part of that that role and so it's somewhat of a lonely role there was no mentors that I didn't see anybody that was my color or anybody that looked like me or anybody I could go to and ask about well how do you deal with you know what people were called discrimination and all of that for me I really didn't see it that way it, it, I was just so focused on the goal the, the green if you're playing golf, I was focused on the green through the trees, that the trees, that that wasn't an issue for me. I just kept going. Awesome. I want to say, living in Michigan, you did mention that you would walk that mile and a half at 6 a.m. That is nothing to sneeze at it in Michigan. <laughs> no, no matter what the season is, if you are out in Michigan at 6 in the morning, you are truly a soldier. Yep, and I would I could remember on rainy days, and it was a it was Annapolis was the road, and I would walk straight down Annapolis Road, and it was a gravel road with potholes, and sometimes I would get cars would come by and they would splash me, and I would try to avoid it, but you know it was just something that I needed to do, and so I get I think I think I just used that time to internalize um, my resolve about what I wanted to do, not not being angry, not being upset but just resolve, uh, focusing on the resolve. And during the process. Yeah, yes, during the process. Awesome. You did mention um, being a business owner. So you, you, those of you that uh, will see the video, you will notice that it reads TCE Architects. That's the Creative Eye Architects, LLC. Am I correct? That is correct, yes. Okay. So... If you would share, what does a typical, and I know that that may be way out there, 
What does a typical day look like? And how does it differ from having been an employee to being the employer? What does a typical day look like? And if you could give us somewhat of a comparison. Sure. The um, beginning in the profession, I work for large firms. I work for medium-sized firms. I work for small firms. And that is in terms of staffing. Um, not so much in the size of the projects, but in staffing. And it was beneficial to work in a smaller firm because you had the opportunity to do more things. But again, I work in all three type sizes of firms in order to gather the experience um, that I felt that I was going to need in, in, as I developed myself. So uh, working in a large firm, you work on maybe a focus zone, like for example, you may work on stair, what we call stairs, developing drawing stair details on how <clears throat> uh, the stairs connections and the height of the risers and the runs and the railing work. And so working for other companies, whether it's large firm or medium firm, you will be more focused on a particular zone or focus, one focus area. Um, as you got into a smaller firm, you would have the opportunity to work on various aspects of it, not just those stairs, but you might work on the wall details and the ceiling details or exterior elevations or the site plan. Uh, and so you would get more exposure and experience. And then once the project is un under construction, we're required to go out and make sure and monitor the construction so that the contractor is building the project in a manner that you have specified on your drawings and specifications. Um, but as a business owner, you have obviously those same responsibilities and you hire, you have staff to assist you with that. But as a business owner, additional responsibility is to, to bring projects in so that you have something to work on. And so that clearly is one of the aspects of a business owner. And what that entails is, you know, chicken sandwiches at lunch, sometimes with potential clients making calls. Um, even entertainment of some sort, you know, maybe going to an event or something just so that you become develop relationships with people. And I mentioned the relationships are so important in this, in this profession because, again, someone is entrusting you to spend millions of their dollars in a, in a comfortable manner, uh, safe manner. Uh, there's a better word for it, but really one that is really solid and trustworthy and blah, 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 all of that good stuff. So it's important that you build relationships with, with, with people. So that is one aspect of being a business owner, as well as monitoring the work that is being done in your office, because I have to stamp what we call, we have to certify the drawings and stamp them and seal them because we're certified by the states and federal government. And so I have to monitor the, that work and uh, monitor the work that's being done to make sure that it, it meets, basically meets my satisfaction as well as any codes and regulations. Because one of the key things that an architect is responsible for, uh, uh, which is paramount, is the life, safety, health, and welfare of the public. Um, we, we uh, you know, you don't build a building, design a building that if, in case there's a fire, people can't get out. So there's multiple ways to get out. There is the uh, application of all the materials, the drywall that's on your ceilings and your walls, is it fire rated? Uh, the, the materials that are within that wall are rated. And so we have to specify 
the correct product so that that it will deter or uh, help protect life safety and health and welfare of the, of the public and people, uh, as well as the property itself. So that's a little bit about the, you know, the, the picture, how that kind of works. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, one of the things that you said early in this, this conversation, you said that you gave a definition for the architect and you used the term master builder. Mm-hmm. Originally, when you start started off, when you said that, I thought master builder, okay, the one has, you know, perfected the craft. I see it differently now. Yes, yes. Because, as you said, the profession of architecture encompasses so many other sciences and professions that you are the master. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, and that, that, that is true that, you know, it's um, you've just described it real, real well. <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> so um, uh, oftentimes when folks come on to, you know, have these robust conversations, we have conversations off camera. Okay. So I do have the advantage listeners, viewers of knowing that prior to becoming an entrepreneur, uh, David was a CEO of an architectural firm. So if you could share just a tad bit of what that experience was like and what were you able to glean as a professional from that encounter? Oh, I think I've kind of covered those things. It's just a matter of... um... I think when you get into the business side of it, it's really about relationships, you know, and then the technical side of it is knowing how to put buildings together and how to bring the materials together. So it's really an aggregation of both of those aspects of, of the relationship is really bringing those, the technical side of the world together along with the personal uh, and the spiritual side of it as well. And, you know, architects have, uh, we have a philosophy. We have philosophies and develop philosophies about how we want our buildings to work. But we also are really the most important part is listening, and um, because it's not so much about me wanting to make this great grand structure that looks like this or has all of that. I'm really listening to the visions of the client in terms of what they want, and we fortunately have a few skills that we can uh, take those words and really take something that's, um, you might say abstract and take it and really bring it to fruition by then developing documentation, different options and ideas, and then putting together the technical aspect of it so that it can be built. Uh, You know, it's great to wave your hand and say, you're going to do this or that, but can it be built? And so we all this it's a combination of so many aspects of it that and that's one reason why it is called an old man's profession, because it takes a long time to develop these skills, but also a long time before someone say, well, I'm going to trust that you're going to spend these, this money for me. <laughs> awesome. So I want to ask you this. Um, certainly, I don't know um, how ethical, you know, but that that's on you. But I want to ask you this. If you could share 
and your experiences, some of what you've designed and constructed from the smallest to some of the, the largest designs. And if, sure. and if you could tell us the name of it and where it's located, that would be a bonus, but. Sure, sure. Well, uh, I can start by just doing it. Small additions to people's houses, you know, a bedroom addition or a garage addition, um, starting doing uh, those kind of things. Uh, I certainly have done that. And as the business has, has, has my world of architecture has expanded, um, I've worked on, like I said, I worked for a large project, large firm. So one of the projects in Michigan was the University of Michigan Hospital. Um, that's there up on the hill there. So that was a project. It, at that time, we called it the replacement hospital because it was replacing the original uh, hospital there. And the number of dorms at the University of Michigan, um, there was um, Cass Technical High School, which I understand now is demolished. That was the last addition. I worked uh, on the designing the addition to that and a number of high schools in the Detroit area we worked on. And, uh, and in the Atlanta and Georgia area, the um, Centennial Olympic Games, uh, we were fortunate enough to design a number of the venues for the Centennial Olympic Games, including the um, first um, field hockey, first and second pitch. And we designed that on the campuses of uh, Clark Atlanta University, which is one of the HPCs uh, youth, and um, Morris Brown College Stadium that was uh, for the Olympics as well. Uh, renovated that a uh, number of dorms at Georgia Tech for the Olympics and then Centennial Olympic Park, which was really the, the I guess you might say is the hub of the Centennial Olympic Games and where we designed a 100 meter by 100 meters um, the park, which is really paying homage to the Centennial Games, the you know, 1996 Centennial Games. And so the vertical structures, all the vertical structures at the park I designed, along with a, a cast of many. So there's obviously, it was a big landscape project, a landscape engineering project, but uh, we were fortunate enough to design the vertical uh, Hermes markers, which demarcate the, definite, the, the boundaries of the park. Um, I also had the opportunity to design uh, Atlanta Underground Project, did some work with the, um, a key engine designers on that. So I worked on that um, a project for Coca-Cola headquarters uh, for their 100th uh, anniversary, 100th year anniversary here in Atlanta. Um, and then many projects uh, that included some jails and prisons in the state of Georgia. Uh, also the um, project that I'm currently involved with and have been for many years is the Hartsville Atlanta International Airport. We are the world's busiest airport, and we have uh, the opportunity to um, mastermind a master control or master planning. Master planning is the word I'm thinking of, the development of the airport. And I've been involved with that for, I think, maybe 20 years now at least. And we're looking at the, we look at the development of the airport, the physical plant development, working with the airlines working with the city of Atlanta, uh, Department of Aviation, who owns and operates the airport. And the, um, the atrium, which is one of the key projects at the airport when it made a trans transformation over the last few 
years, developed what we call the atrium, which is now the hub of the entire airport. And as a master planner, I, again, I'm the, we're the master planners for the airport. So we get the opportunity to um, take the, the trends and the direction that the airlines are moving toward or want to go and design and plan and then design the facilities to support that growth over the next 20 years. So, you know, we do the 20 year master plan every five years or so. And we then take those, that master plan and take those initiatives and work with the, the Department of Aviation to determine what initiatives will be taken on, they'll be going through next. And so that is one, uh, you know, projects that many projects out there. And so I think the largest project I worked on was about $1 billion. And it was the creation of the rental car development, rental car complex at the airport. It, it, it entailed a train system that connected the airport to a 90 acre site. The design of the rental car complex that had, oh, I forget how many thousands of cars. Um, and also there's three train stations that connect, we call them the SkyTrain, that connects the airport to the rental car complex. And then there are many, 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 many initiatives. Right now, I would say that I'm probably working on 15 different initiative projects right now, um, various sizes of projects and scale of projects to, uh, incur, uh, to support the security systems at the airport, scanning. Um, when you go through the airport and you pick up, your, you go through the scanner to, before you um, get on the aircraft, you go through these scanning machines. Well, I'm working on all of the initiatives just goes on and on and on. So it's 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 never ending and it's wonderful. Awesome. I was going to ask, was your fingerprint, um, you know, if you had something to do with that train, how it has the different stations and all of that. Yeah, I was just in the airport back and I think it was December. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you, did you go to the rental car complex? No, we didn't have to go to the rental car uh, complex. Okay. Well, I didn't. Someone else okay. had, had taken care of that part of it. Yeah, so the underground train system, what we call an APM system, automated people mover system. So I've designed all of the the stations themselves, the, the cosmetics portion of the stations over the years, and at many of the different concourses, designed the center points expansion and the renovations, and a lot of the concessions uh, out there over the years. So okay. I've got, a, I guess you might say, my fingerprint on a number of things at the airport here. And, and we were discussing how smart we thought it was because typically you just have the conveyor or you walk. Mm -hmm. And then when we saw this train, I was like, and they got it designed like a train that you would see outside. <laughs> yeah. It had the concourses and the stops. And I was like, I love it. It was, yeah. you know, designed like a subway. So we thought that was really cool. And it really uh, helps to uh, help digest that whole experience because as you stated that is a very very large you know airport it's huge. yeah yeah and, and that's that's an important aspect of in the design you want to i like to try to have a allow for people to have a visual or some sort of connection to the to the world outside and not just be in a cocoon um so uh, and then again this is a culmination of decades and years of development and many, many smart people from across the world working on these projects and myself and my team, uh, you know, we're just one of the, you know, one of the small pieces that 
are required to make it work. <laughs> well, sir, I'm here to thank you for all of those people that were pre-TCE architects <laughs> experience, you know, one of those folks. Thank you. Thank you. Because it makes so much sense. We loved it. And how um, once you enter the airport, there's the food uh, court. Yeah. Food court. Yeah. But you don't have to search. You know, it's right behind the conveyor where you grab your bag. and Well, let's go over here and eat. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the first projects out there that I did. And that before that was a you couldn't do that. So I created that whole new center of the airport. So and then the clock tower that's there and the lighting and the, the idea of bringing natural light into it and then a, a diffused light into it and then a direct light. So I wanted you to feel like let's just take Grand Central Station or something. I mean, you just had to take and, and connect you to the outside. So that big 65 foot diameter skylight, the, the sun moved across it and creates shadows in the space. So you awesome. it's sort of like a you know a, a sand uh, glass almost. Thank you. It makes it palatable where otherwise it could be very very overwhelming. Oftentimes you go into spaces, and as you said, because of the lighting, you can see. I can remember this helped me to finish college, working mm-hmm. at in the auto industry and yeah. the factory. You had no idea what was happening on the outside. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And you step out, it was like you've been released from somewhere. And That's you right. were like, oh, it snowed, it rained. What That's happened? right. Yeah. So thank you so much for that. So what do you see? We're, we're driving it home now. What do you see in the future of the Creative Eye Architects LLC? Well, I, I think that we will continue to grow. So we've been growing gradually and I still want us to grow in the, pretty much in the transportation industry. Uh, So we're continuing to do that. And one of the things about the growth for me is a lot of people have this, uh, owners have an idea, I just want to get big. I want to get, have so many people in my office, but I really don't have that, that, that drive. It's just a matter of responding to the demands and the needs as we move along. So we have been gradually growing. I think we're up to 12, 12 to 13 people right now. It started with just myself and um, two of us. And um, so over the years, it's just growing and, and I'm just gonna let it grow as we continue to uh, provide good work. So I don't do much advertising, fortunately, thank goodness for that. Uh, the quality of the work that we perform is one that has, um, a lot has allowed us to continue to grow and being uh, the master planner for the airport. We have a lot of uh, initiatives that I just, uh, it's a long-term contract. And of course it has to be renewed periodically, but we, it has gives us the opportunity to not have to go out and try to market and, and, you know, ask people to, to go, walk around with my hat in my hand for, for projects. Well, sorry. I'm glad to say that I know you. <laughs> It's thank a privilege you. and an honor you are. You have blazed a trail. Well, thank you. Um, they're, Heavy they're, is the head. They're, they're, the what's that? Heavy is the head that bears the crown. Oh. <laughs> well, I would like to say that I just, um, hopefully I can just continue the uh, and expand on the opportunity for minorities to work in the profession and also just to be a good problem solver. Um, so what I would say is that you know, to folks looking at the profession, it's just, 
you know, find your profession, find your passion, whatever it is, and spend the rest of your life doing it, and you'll get good at it. Don't. It's not about seeking money. Um, the, this profession is is a lucrative business, and it is an opportunity to um, not only you know make a good living, but also to help society. And that you're doing at that airport. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, lastly, I want to say this. You did mention your work speaks for itself. So your budget, the line item for advertising might have a zero. But you may have some listeners because we're on many platforms, uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, various uh, podcast platforms. If by chance someone is sitting and accidentally or purposely taps onto the link for strategically and unapologetically, apologetically with Firestarter Monica, how can you be reached? Well, we have a website. It's the, the creativearchitects.net or tcearchitects.net. And um, that my website is currently being uh, renewed or upgraded. So it's one that I'm not quite sure how active it is right now, but that is the way you can contact me. And as well as my telephone number, I'll give you my number. It's 404 936 2115 and we can be reached or I can be reached there and then we'll can go go from there. Mr. David Perkins AIA owner of the Creative Eye Architects LLC. Thank you for your time. You've shared a wealth. You've opened us up to a world that not a lot know about. Thank you. Enjoy the balance of your day. And for the rest of you, once again, thank you. You have been strategically and unapologetically with Firestarter Monica. Until we meet again, be 